1: I figured in the middle of all this last dance hysteria and I'm definitely feeling all sorts of nostalgic talking some 90s NBA basketball which is like my glory years it's like my favorite period of watching the NBA because listen you're an impressionable young Nick fan you're rooting against Michael Jordan and Reggie Miller and Alonzo Mourning for all those years I mean it was a ton of fun maybe not the Jordan part but you get my drift let's welcome in a guy who knows the inside and out of the history of this league. And I think he's one of the best guys talking NBA basketball. With. He's one of the voices of Sirius XM NBA radio, the great Justin Termini. JT, what's happening, brother?
2: Yeah, I'm like you. I was rooting against Jordan in the 90s, but then I like go back and I look at that documentary and it makes me wish that I appreciated it a little bit more and I was actually rooting for him a little bit. But I'm like you. I was rooting for him to lose every series.
1: That's the amazing thing for me, JT. I think about my childhood. I rooted against Michael Jordan every single year. I watched this documentary, and maybe it's because society has changed quite a bit. Maybe it's because the NBA has changed quite a bit. But I just find it so refreshing to have this guy who is not going to be afraid to get in the face of a teammate— who is basically going to list off his enemies like he's Richard Nixon or Arya Stark in Game of Thrones. (laughs) Like, JT, in this day and age, I go back and I rewatch that, and it's Jordan with the Seagull, he's playing golf, he, he wants to win at everything, and how do you not respect the hell out of the guy?
2: Yeah, and he came off as a man as well, right? I mean, sometimes you look at some guys today, and I don't mean to, like, rip the modern generation, but they come off as, as kids, like on Twitter and Instagram and doing your Taco Tuesdays. Like, he dressed up in a, in a suit to go to every single game. He acted like he was an adult, and then he went out there and he tried to, to, to slit your throat, basically, and, and win at all costs, and he held his teammates accountable, and it wasn't this passive-aggressive stuff. So I, I miss it desperately, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad in retrospect now that he won these six titles because it it helps the argument that he's the greatest of all time, which I didn't want to admit at the time. But if you're going to put him up against LeBron and some of these modern day players, I want him to be better than those guys. Uh, So, yeah, I I appreciate it. And I hope that it's something where younger kids are watching it today and it drives them maybe to, uh, to be a little bit more competitive and say, you know, I don't have to necessarily fall in line with the way that the NBA has become, I can go back there into the 80s and the 90s and and get a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I mean, that was maybe my favorite part. We we don't have guys fighting today, J.J., but this documentary really caused fights between a bunch of different guys. I mean, Pippen's fighting with the media with the way that he was portrayed. You got Jordan and Isaiah fighting. Bill Lambeer gets involved. I loved all that stuff.
1: Uh, Amen, 1,000%. Let me ask you a simple question. In all your years of watching Michael Jordan When was the moment for you, JT, where you jaw dropped? You're like, holy smokes, this guy is not just a great player. He's not just an all-star player. He's got a chance to be one of the best to ever do it. Do you remember when you came to that realization?
2: Yeah, I mean well, I mean, you look at what he did in the ninety three finals when he overcame the Suns, and I think that was the best opponent. He's averaged over forty points per game, despite being fatigued at the end of the three year run, and he's going up against Barkley, who I think was the best player that he actually faced after he started winning championships. Like I think he was better than Magic in ninety one and Clyde Drexler in ninety two, Stockton and Malone in ninety seven and ninety eight. So like that's when. But then you look at what you saw in ninety eight, right when he closes it down. Think about retiring JJ after arguably the greatest sequel in NBA history, you're down by three with 41 seconds left. You make a very difficult layup, which you saw last night in the documentary. Then you go back down to the other end. And I know Carl Malone had, a, uh, you know, the, the propensity to choke in big moments, but he's still the second-leading scorer in NBA history. He's got two MVPs, and you strip the ball from him. Then you go back down the other end, and you knock down the shot. Think about that sequence. He, you know, he's at what, what age is he, 35 years of, of age? Uh, he wins the MVP that year. He has one of the top five defensive plays in NBA history. And like 20 seconds later, he's got arguably one of the top five shots in NBA history. So that should have solidified it if you didn't think at any point prior to that that he was the best of all time.
1: We're obviously going to agree that the last year of each 3 was when the Bulls were the most vulnerable. The Knicks-Eastern Conference Final, the final you mentioned against Barkley and the Suns, and then you look at 97-98, Indiana pushing him to the brink and that jump ball, which obviously changed the fortunes of that game and Kerr knocking down the outside shot. And then, of course, the game six in Utah. But, JT, why Phoenix over Utah? Like, I look at that home court advantage Utah would have had in a game seven. The fact that Scottie Pippen would have been all sorts of hobbled. To me, if there was a year the Bulls were going to get picked off, I would have looked at 97-98 because, you know what, you're getting compromised, Scottie Pippen. I don't care if Michael Jordan's putting on a Superman cape. That, to me, was the time the Bulls could have gotten knocked
2: off. Well, I agree. They might not have been healthy in that game seven or with, with Pippen, so that could have been concerning. I'm talking about the best opponent they faced, and I think the best opponent was Phoenix. And don't forget, Phoenix would have had home court there in that game seven as well if Paxton didn't knock down that shot. So it was vital that Paxson knocked down that shot, And the next night you're going back there with home court off uh, for Phoenix, and I just felt Barkley was at his apex, right? I mean, in 93, because he was in shape. The problem for Barkley is he was just never in shape, right? And then in 93, he had played in the Olympics the prior year, so while it tired out Jordan and Pippen, playing in the Olympics. It actually helped Barkley because, you know, it had him organized over the summer instead of him, you know, cuzzling down uh, chili pogs. So he was in shape uh, and like he was so good that year that uh, that nobody even said, like, all right, well, Jordan's in his prime, and Barkley won the MVP. Like, nobody argued with it. That's how good he was. And Kevin Johnson was great that year, although, he, you know, he didn't show up in those first two games, and Phoenix saw behind 2-0, and if Johnson did anything, they win there. Dan Marley was a really good defensive player. Ainge was a savvy veteran, even though he made the mistake at the end where he, uh, he leaves Paxson an open and he doubles down on Horace Grant. I just felt that was their best team
1: we got the great Justin Termini, Series XM, NBA Radio. JT, better team overall. The first Jordan three-peat, the second Jordan three-peat.
2: That, that, that's difficult just because I think that, you know, obviously he was at his athletic apex. I think for the first three-peat and the second three-peat, it was more of just having the uh, the, the know-how uh, to, to do things and the confidence of that respect. I'll say the second one just because uh, I, I think if you go like four or five deep on that roster, uh, behind Pippen and Jordan. You obviously have Robson, but then I think you got Kukoc. you got Ron Harper defensively. So I think they were a little bit deeper with that second P. What, what do you think? Do you think it's the first one or the second
1: one? You know, it's a great question because I would take Horace Grant with the Bulls over Rodman with the Bulls. Now, I'm not talking the duration of their careers. If you're talking Rodman with the bad boy Pistons, entirely different player. I thought Horace Grant gave him a little bit more offense, but I'm with you because of the overall depth. Kerr really hit some big shots for that team. We saw that in the documentary in the Indiana series. I mean, three-point percentage was off the charts. And Kukoc was a big leg up, and so was Ron Harper. I mean, I, I look at the overall roster, and I would probably say advantage second Pete. And the amazing thing is, JT, even though Michael maybe wasn't the athlete that he was, you know, in 91, 92, 93, look at the numbers, they're still just as good.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And then again, like I said, the final couple of plays there of that of that, uh, of that uh, series against Utah, where he knocks down the shot, he makes the defensive play. So obviously he wasn't struggling there at all. And I think the league was weaker at that time as well, right? Because you you got the influx of the uh, you know the additional teams coming in via expansion, so that helped their win total get bloated a little bit as well. And why I think Jordan's the greatest player of all time. I think it's a fallacy to say that that was the best team of all time, even though they're racking up to seventy two wins, probably like the six. 69 wins. I still think you got the 80s Lakers and Celtics that are better, maybe even the 83 Sixers, just because the depth on those teams, because the league was a little bit smaller. So you had Hall of Famers coming off the bench. You didn't have that for the Bulls in the 90s.
1: Okay, JT, this is the ultimate hypothetical, and I've wondered this quite a bit, and I know anytime I do national radio, I get all sorts of heat from people in Houston, because I do believe if Michael Jordan does not retire the first time, They keep winning. I mean, I'm not going to bet against the guy. He was that dominant. He was that good. He was that driven. So I guess this is twofold, JT. Jordan doesn't retire. Do they win those two titles that Akeem and the Rockets got? And number two, if Jordan and the whole gang come back for the lockout-shortened season, how many more titles are we looking at from a Chicago standpoint?
2: I think they win one more, all right? So I'll, I'll give you the one in 1999, because you're going to tell me the Knicks, the seed are going to come out of the Eastern Conference and finally beat the Bulls? No, that's not going to happen. And then you got San Antonio, who, while good, right, and they were a very good defensive team that year. I mean, Tim Duncan's in his second year. So you're going to take Tim Duncan, as great as he is, one of the top ten players in the history of the sport, in his second year against that Chicago team. And I know Jordan missed significant time there, uh, would have missed significant time, because he cut himself on a cigar cutter. You got Pippen, who's dealing with the back issues. Uh, but I'm still not betting against them, so I would have given them the title in 99. Then I don't think they're they're beating the Lakers after that in 2000, 2001, 2002. And one of the reasons is you look at all the centers that the Bulls faced in the NBA finals. Now, again, they faced Ewing on their way to the finals. But once they got to the finals, they never faced a a big-time center. You're going to have to stop Shaq in that situation in 2000 especially now you're talking about seven or eight runs to the, uh, to the final. So I think you're fatigued. And then I also disagree. So while I give them the 99 one, JJ, I can't give them the, the titles. there in 94 and 95 against Houston one, because I think they were burnt out at the end of 93. And you saw that with the way that they handled the Knicks, and they really should have lost that series, right? I mean, 57 wins in 93. That was the worst amount of wins uh, that they had during the, uh, the six championships. Uh, they should have lost to the Knicks. I mean, they were down two nothing in that series. Jordan played horribly, uh, in Game Three, they got out of there with the win. Uh, game Five, you got Charles Smith, so they were on the precipice there. Uh, and then they just matched up poorly against Houston because again, they're trying to stop Hakeem Elijah, and I just think it was a bad matchup. So I, you know, I don't think they. I think Houston wins at least one of those two titles. Ninety, ninety-four, ninety-five.
1: Fascinating. I'm glad you brought up the Knicks because as great a time as that was, JT, and listen, compared to what they've dealt with over the last twenty years. I'll take that sort of pang and anguish, because every year, come April, come May, and in many years, June, the Knicks were playing. They were alive and well. There was a buzz. There was good feelings around Madison Square Garden. Do you look at the 92-93 team as the team that was the best in the Patrick Ewing era? I mean, that team, 2-0 up on the Bulls, riding high, the Jordan-Atlantic City story I think was the worst thing that ever happened to them because it just gave additional fuel to the fire for Michael Jordan to all of a sudden get motivated and come and stick it to you. And that's exactly what they did in the later part of that series. Is it 92-93? Is it 93-94? But I'll give you another one, JT. And I think they would have matched up well with this Bulls team. I don't know if they would have won because you know what? They never beat Michael Jordan. But the 96-97 team in which you had the P.J. Brown-Charlie Ward fight The whole Nick team comes off the bench. That team played well against Chicago, I remember, throughout the regular season. So any of those three, 92-93, 93-94, 96-97, what was Patrick's best team?
2: Yeah, they went to the finals, I mean, twice, right, during the 90s. And I still think it was that 93 team that was the best team because they really should have won game three. Like, you mentioned that uh, the, the worst thing that ever happened to them was Jordan going down to Atlantic City, the media making a big deal about that. Jordan actually came back in game three and wasn't any good. I mean, Jordan was, he was three of 18 in that game. Uh, and I talked to Jeff Van Gundy a couple of weeks ago, and he points to that game as the one, not the troll Smith game. He points to that one that really slipped away. They had the opportunity to go up 3 nothing. Then he gets the 50-plus point games in game four and then you have the opportunity there with Charles Smith getting blocked a million times you getting fouled from the Knicks perspective which really you know could have swung it in their direction put him up 3-2 but they don't end up winning another game in that series so yeah I think that was the best team that they had during that run was that 93 was that 93 version
1: we got the great Justin Termini serious XM NBA radio and you know JT it's remarkable to think about those Bulls teams and we all know Michael Jordan goes off he plays baseball for a year scratches the itch, decides to come back. He's bringing back 45 like I do on the craps table when I'm trying to hit a nine. I mean, we're all trying to bring it back like Jordan. But, you know, a lot of people forget about the fact that they lost that series to the Orlando Magic, carrying Horace Grant off the court, Nick Anderson talking smack, saying 45 ain't 23. Isn't it remarkable now to, like, look at NBA history and that Magic team that had Shaq, that had Penny, that had Dennis Scott, that had... Horace Grant, Nick Anderson, really, really good team. You thought in many ways they were about to be the next dynasty of the NBA, and that just goes completely by the wayside.
2: Yeah, we have Pat Williams on a couple of days ago, and Pat Williams is the guy that constructed that team, right? And they said, if I were to tell you and put you all the way back in, like, 95, 94, when you're, when you're getting that victory— uh, and said, hey, you're not going to win a championship, right? You, you will not win one championship. And he said, I thought you're crazy. Pat Williams thought they were going to win multiple championships because you got Hardaway, who comes into the league, looking like he's Magic Johnson, right? He's like, what, a six-foot-eight point guard. you got Shaq at the – you know, he's already in the NBA Finals two or three years into his career, uh, you know, in 94 – and then they, they never, or 95, you know, they, they, never, end up, uh, they never end up breaking through when Shaq leaves, uh, and they made the mistake by, like, mo balling them when he entered free agency. But, yeah, I mean, you have different teams like that throughout NBA history. Right? I think we went through it with Oklahoma City as well, uh, where you got Durant, you got Westbrook, you got Harden. They go to the finals all over the 21-22. You think they're going to win multiple championships. They don't even get back to a finals.
1: JT, it's the million-dollar question, and everybody's looking for an answer. And listen, I don't have one. You don't necessarily have one. But it seems like with Cuomo and Newsom and a bunch of these governors now on board with the idea of live sports sooner rather than later, it moves us in a direction where there's going to be NBA basketball. Good feel at this point. You think this season picks up again?
2: Yeah, I think that they're just desperate to fit it in. Right now, do I, do I necessarily agree with it, Going so far that it impacts next season as well. So then we have next season compromise, not necessarily, but I certainly understand it from the perspective of the players who just got 25 uh, percent taken out of their last paycheck, right? Why well, they would want to do it, I understand it from the owners' perspective. They, the, the area where they make their money is postseason basketball. They're not making it, you know, for a regular season game in February or March or January. They're making it with the postseason. They're making it with the NBA Finals and just the impact it would have on the collective bargaining agreement moving forward, and you know, in the ceiling. And the revenue, uh, you know, and the salary cap, Uh, you could see why they want to fit it in. So I think they're going to do everything they can to get it fitted in.
1: JT, what if I told you moving forward, and I I see your point about not trying to compromise next year. What if the NBA started their season Christmas Day every single year and went to like uh, mid to late July or maybe even early August for that matter? Is that a change you'd be on board with?
2: I would not be on board with that, and I I don't think the players would either, which would be a big hurdle because you think— What is
1: that, that the idea of sacrificing their summer to the players? I mean, that's got to come into play, Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and Damian Lizard addressed it already, right? Where he said, you know, my kids got the summer off. I want to be there with my kid. Plus, they want the benefit of the the good weather as well. So I think that's one of them. And then the big logistical issue, right? And I know that people in New York, they they have this issue in, in multiple cities, but I lived in New York for a while. And what's on the Yes
0: Network? Is it
2: just, is it just, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Nets? No, you got uh, you got the uh, Nets and the Yankees. So what happens with, uh, with that, right, with the television rights that are in, impacted there as well when instead of just overlapping maybe for the first uh, 15 days of April, all of a sudden it becomes every single night where you got the Nets are playing on yes, you got the Yankees that are playing on yes, and I think that becomes a mess with the television deals as well.
1: All right, JT, final one before we get you out of here. What conspiracy do you enjoy more with Michael Jordan? Is it the retirement for a year and a half and all the theories that were thrown around when it comes to that? Um, or is it what we heard with the, uh, the flu game? As apparently maybe it was some food poisoning, some bad pizza. So listen, you don't have to tell me you're a believer in either one of these conspiracy theories, but if there's one that maybe catches your interest that much more, what would it be?
2: yeah I mean, I don't see how any one of them is true by the way, because you think David Stern is going to suspend his money maker he's going to do it no chance he can. no yeah, chance exactly. and j like t nobody they, loves
1: one more than me, you know I'd love that to be the case. You think David's done to want him playing baseball for a year? No chance. No chance. No.
2: It, it, it's like I always said with Major League Baseball, right? It's okay if Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire is added for the steroids. You think that the baseball is going to allow it to come to light that Derek Jeter uh, is, is on steroids? No, because if Jeter's on him, then everybody in the sport is on him, right? Uh, so I think that's the same thing with, with baseball. So, I mean, with basketball, is they understand that that's like the moneymaker. They're not going to suspend him. So I don't buy that one. I also probably don't buy – I don't see how it could be a hangover – uh, with the with the flu game either. Like, I buy the pizza more than I do the, the hangover, even though the pizza's ridiculous. I mean, what does he call him up and go, this is Mike and Jordan, deliver me the pizza, and the, everybody in the pizza uh, crew, like down at Domino's, you know, knows that it's Jordan, so five of them show up. That's ridiculous as well. But do you really think Jordan, in a, you know, the Nike, I know he does some crazy things. I know he went to Atlantic City when they're down 2 nothing right, or down one nothing Like, you're telling me that before a crucial game five, when the series is tied 2-2, that he's going to go out and get so hammered heard that he can't play the next day that
1: doesn't make sense to me either justin Termini, check him out sirius xm nba radio jt hopefully the next time i can talk to you we're breaking down i don't know uh bucks clippers nba finals and uh maybe in vegas maybe it's in orlando who knows where it is but if it's basketball on my screen and you and i could shoot the breeze about it I- i'm cool with that so stay safe my friend enjoy the uh california sunshine and we will uh, catch up soon all right
2: yeah, sounds good, JJ. Thanks for having me on. Stay, stay uh, healthy there and uh, let's, let's kill some time here and get
0: basketball back.
1: That would be nice. There you have it. Great stuff there from Justin Termini.
0: <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact